Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from listeners like you. I love bringing you these conversations each week, and I love hearing from you on Twitter and Instagram when you've connected with a book or an episode. Makes me feel like we're all doing our part to make children's literature a little more awesome for our readers. If you've enjoyed the Children's Book Podcast and want to give a little back, you could support the show for as little as a dollar by visiting patreon.com slash matthewcwinner. I've set a goal of 100 patrons, and we're about halfway there. Once we reach that goal, I'll be able to start monthly giveaways eligible to anyone supporting the show. How much would you love to receive a box of books from me? (laughs) Visit patreon.com slash matthewcwinner and keep up the awesome. Yeah, everybody in class was sick this week, apparently, and we got, like, a message on Thursday, and the teacher's like, yeah, you should probably, like, you know, keep your sick kids home, and I'm like, oh, great, here we go. Children's books are more like dreams. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 571. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today, I'm joined by Washoyo Elvitre, illustrator of At the Mountains Base. Written by Tracy Sorrell. How much do you love that quote? Children's books are more like dreams. Washoyo makes her picture book debut with At the Mountain's Base, a poetic story about a family nervously awaiting the return of a family member serving in World War II. This is a story where you notice the silence. The large illustrations and colorful thread framing and connecting the art draw eyes to the hands and faces we meet in a cabin at the base of a mountain. But the waiting and working in silence builds such terrific tension that I personally found myself at a loss of breath by the story's end. We experience some connection issues while recording, leaving Washoyo's audio choppy at points, but that's not going to stop us from having a great conversation. Please welcome my guest, Washoyo Elvitre, illustrator of At the Mountains Base. Hi, my name is Washoyo Elvitre. Um, I go by she, her, uh, and I'm a Native American comic book artist and children's book illustrator. Making comics. I like that. <laughs> I, um... I've done a little bit of Googling on you and your artist life because, Washoyo, when you have a book like At the Mountain's Base, 
that is like so insanely beautifully illustrated. I'm like, who is this person? I need to see more art. <laughs> well, thank you. And like these great artists that are, you're also colleagues, contemporaries. Um, you've got so much beautiful work behind, behind your website. It's amazing. So I am so grateful that, that you were drawn to illustrating for children, uh, both in comics and also for younger children through this picture book. I, I think that, that your art and your voice as an artist is so strong and so evocative. And I, I, I just really uh, have loved sharing at the mountain space with students and seeing how they have reacted at each page turn. That was really a delight for me. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it is my first children's book. So uh, taking you know, the art style that I already established and um, also the fact that I haven't done a lot of stuff for younger readers, um, this was kind of a new uh, way to stretch some muscles that I hadn't really done before and kind of create, I guess, a simpler art style still in the comic book vein um, that kids will respond to and They've responded pretty positively, so I've, I've been very happy with the, the feedback and, you know, seeing kids talk about the pictures and understand sequential storytelling and all of that. Oh, yeah. Also, <laughs> speaking of people responding, you just were honored by uh, at ALA with the Youth Media Awards, the American Indian Literature Award recognized at the Mountain Space with a picture book honor. That's huge. Massive. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> and because of the awards... Um, presenting the different um, awards in the order that they did, this was like one of the first things to be announced on the broadcast, which was oh, really? so cool to yeah. see that broadcast first. Yeah, I missed the, the actual broadcast. I woke up and I had like Twitter, you know, exploding into a million tags and stuff. <laughs> I'm so grateful for them to have recognized the book for one, but also what that means, um, not only in hopes of bringing more, you know, native written and native illustrated books to the children's book market. I think that it's it's powerful to see how many native authors and illustrators were recognized across the Youth Media Awards. I think that mm -hmm. um, publishing is slowly, slowly making space, and I'm grateful, at least from what I see on, like, KidLit Twitter, that mm -hmm. librarians are embracing and centering these books, which hopefully is continuing to communicate to publishers that we want these books, we will purchase these books, because I know nothing in publishing happens in isolation. It can't just be that they're publishing marginalized voices. They also need some sales to, to sort of support the decision, which is just, that's part of a business, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But but I think that this shared responsibility um, is really affirmed in how much so many of, of the books across all the awards uh, that were recognized were already books that I saw a ton of people talking about um, prior to the awards being named. It means a lot to see folks really, I think, working hard to decenter whiteness across publishing and to put stories in front of children that are uh, either uh, a much needed long overdue mirror for some individuals or a window for those folks that that need to know that there are other experiences in the world and 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 bring that 
closer. And I think that at the mountains base um, does that beautifully. I think well, thank that, you. Yeah. I mean, I think the way that Tracy weaves um, history and family into this fictionalized story and the way that you um, quite literally weave the art together um, through having these, the, the, these through lines, this string, um, the threads um, run through the story is something beautiful. Thank you. I mean, um, going back a little bit, it's, it's been such a, a push for years and years. Um, you have people like Debbie Reese who have, you know, she's got her own blog and she highlights native literature and she writes about whether or not, you know, it's, it's suitable for kids or for upper ages um, and why. And then she really brings to task problematic books on the marketplace that are in schools already and, you know, why they maybe aren't the good examples that a lot of librarians and publishers think that they are for the Native community. So I think um, the combination of that and the combination of large publishers like Penguin um, creating these these uh, smaller uh, areas within the book market and really promoting, you know, Native communities um, – I think Harper Collins just opened up their own um, little print house, and it's it's basically for to highlight and um, expand books written by Native people, and that's something that like I never would have had the opportunity to do, you know, five, ten, fifteen years ago in this place. It, it was very white centered and very white dominated, and that was one of the major reasons that when I first started in illustration and comics, I didn't do native based things because there was not that space. And if that space was given to you, it was very much within this, um, edited and, um, curated type of, well, you can do a story about Indians from a hundred to 200 years ago. And they're going to be look like that, you know, so you're proliferating the fact that Indians still look like we did when, you know, they met settler, settler colonialists and um, not the fact that they're living and breathing and that they've, you know, learned to survive within society today and that we have stories currently that we could use instead of, you know, past stories and you get into a lot of stereotypes and stuff. So um, that I think has a huge play in why so many books are awarded. And it, it's such a beautiful thing to see that type of from um, librarians in the literary community, but within the, the native community too. I mean, most of us know each other or know a friend who knows somebody. <laughs> so we were all kind of <laughs> sitting there like congratulating each other, you know, like it's, it's a very small community. And um, I think it was very powerful to see how many uh, accolades that they, they did give out and, you know, how many beautiful books there are available for people. Um and in regards to Tracy's story, like, I really had no clue what to expect from my first children's book. When I was handed the script, um, or the manuscript from Coquila, I read it and I was like, wow, this is really, like, minimalistic. <laughs> so I read it again. <laughs> you know, it, it was a beautiful story, the... but yeah, like, I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking, like, oh, God, are you really, you know, kind of intensely highly rendered illustrations how am i going to go over a 32 page book with this few words it was really intimidating i was like oh my god i don't know if i can do this um so i sat with it for like a week and i read it over several several times i told them yes because i i really did love the story um and so i sort of dove in without knowing how i was going to pull it off but um 
the the weaving line stuck out with me um, from the very moment that I read it. Um, and I I grew up. My mom's a seamstress. Um, she was always doing beadwork and um, just all kinds of just arts and crafting. We had like a, a whole library of craft books when I was a kid. Um, she's Scottish, so she comes from you know a whole lineage of people who use fiber in their day to day. And over the years, I've just picked up all of hobbies involving sewing and knitting, and most recently, spinning wool um, and weaving. So that right there kind of like nerdy and kind of like get into like fiber stuff if they're going to let me do it. So I kind of presented, like, oh, I'd love to focus on like the weaver in a story. Um, and of course, I didn't want, she's, I asked what her nationality was or her, her tribal affiliation or if there was a tribal affiliation within the, the manuscript. And she said, well, you know, I'm Cherokee, um, but we don't have to go there. And so, of course, my mind kind of goes through the different tribes of people are familiar with Navajo weavers. Um, so that could be like a, a potential thing that I could, you know, go off of. But um, I wanted to do something close to either her lineage or my lineage. Um, my people are the Tongva people of Southern California. Um, and we were basket weavers. So we do have weaving, but not not the type that seemed to be described in Tracy's poem. So I, I kind of went from there. I said, can I, you know, ask you a couple of questions? Maybe you have some weaving within, you know, the Cherokee community that we could elaborate on. Um, and it just sort of organically went from there. But um, one thing I think that was different about our collaborative effort on how we developed the art style for this book was that I had open communication with the writer. And I... I hear that's not the norm with children's books. Um, and it's it's kind of hard for me to think of doing a children's book based on a Native community without being able to discuss that with the writer because so often we write about our own communities. So we kind of have small little details and nuances that really make something more fleshed out and more um, real, I guess than if I were to have just gone off on my own and done these illustrations and not consulted with Tracy. Um, so that relationship between her and me was just really amazing um, to be able to have and for the publisher to be open, like amongst, um, you know, us sharing stories back and forth and just talking on a personal level and all this stuff. So we really became friends over the process and, um, you know, I, I got a lot of insight into her community through this story. Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. I think that uh, it does not surprise me that you had the opportunity to talk, and it wouldn't surprise me if publishing is changing because of the need 
for authors and illustrators to talk in order to get a book right or as mm-hmm. close to right as it can be. You brought up so many different names that I want to weave together, if if I can use that metaphor, for the folks listening, because you brought up Dr. Debbie Reese, who is a person I respect a lot and have had on the show a lot. And um, her book with Dr. Jean Mendoza, um, An Indigenous People's History of the United States for Young People, that adaptation was also recognized, as was Cynthia Leidick-Smith, who is mm-hmm. the head of that imprint that you mentioned and was the author of Hearts Unbroken. I feel like we're at this place where we've got we've 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 got some momentum. I'm being very careful of how I word this. <laughs> there is some momentum, there is some visibility, there is some something is moving forward um that Coquila chose to publish this book in its its infancy, right? This is just their first year or two. So they yeah, are, they are still young. Yeah. yeah. The, the, we are, we are at this place that, um, the American library association and, and the ALSC has chosen to incorporate, uh, a number of affiliates into their youth media awards, including the Sydney Taylor book award, as well as, um, the American Indian literature award, and that they've chose to center those and to, to give platform to those at the very start of their program when folks are tuning in. Granted, you're, you're West Coast. So for yeah. me, it was, it was at a really great time. All of my students were starting <laughs> school. It was really perfect. But the, the, the fact that we are, that it appears that we are trying to make space Mm-hmm. Um, I guess during the same week that Lee and Lowe shared their their statistics that over those five years that they've been gathering those diversity statistics on the state of publishing and publishing personnel, that it, we really haven't seen a change in who is who is publishing books. But mm-hmm. but hopefully we are again working toward that. And I've got to give credit to these beautiful books like yours that are just are just bringing it and are gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Shoya, would and you yeah, mind? It's, it's oh, yeah. So exciting to see this. So. Would you mind if I read some of Tracy's story to those listening? Yeah. Um, the story revolves around a family, um, and they're sort of sitting in a house in under a hickory tree at the mountain's base, and they're waiting for a family member to return from um, war, and. Through this, we learn that the family member is a female uh, airplane pilot. And I think the uh, um, going through very, very small, um, nuanced imagery uh, in regards to the family and their connection to their relative who's overseas. And what I really tried to do was to convey the varied emotions that one would experience um, and the complicated emotions that, you know, families experience when their, their family members are overseas, because oftentimes you'll have, you know, families that are um, divisive over whether or not they believe in war or whether or not they believe that their family members should have gone overseas. So these are all things, you know, going through my, my mind when I was doing these pictures. Yeah. Would you mind if I read some of the text? Oh, go for it. Yeah. I love that a moment ago you described it as you were illustrating Tracy's poem. And I thought there is 
no better way <laughs> to describe this. <laughs> the text reads, and it goes very quickly, the text reads, At the mountain's base grows a hickory tree. Beneath this sits a cabin. In that cabin lies a cozy kitchen where a stove's fire warms. And on that stove simmers savory goodness in well-worn pans. By those pans sits a grandma weaving and worrying. The, the way that you illustrate individuals Shoyo is so beautiful. That worrying page where we are looking over the grandma. We are, we are like above her head as she holds, pulls all of these strings, all of these threads together. Threads that we have been following throughout the book because they have been framing the other illustrations mm-hmm. that you have started to share. And then they continue to frame the illustrations as we move forward. That... That it just was so powerful. I don't even oh, know you. how how to quite articulate the way that the way that you've given us opportunity, maybe I can put it this way, to look into the eyes of other individuals. The eyes of folks that are longing for family members to return, that are hoping for their family members' safety, that um that are left not knowing what what fate has in store for those people that are not near them. I think that this is something that others can connect to, not just with a, a wartime connection, but just what it means when a family member is not immediately with us. It brings my mind to what's going on at our southern border. It brings my mind to uh, what's going on for um, friends and family that have um, family members that are in Pakistan or that are in other parts of the world that that they might not be able to return home to to China right now to places yeah. such as that um and and there's so much I've been using this phrase a lot and someone mentioned it earlier on the in an earlier interview and I can't seem to let go of it that there's so much universal in the specific mm-hmm. in the way that you and Tracy present it here yeah it's true um like that's something I guess that has become a theme in my work over the last few years um, because there is so much, you know, back and forth. Is this native enough? Is this not native enough? Is this going to appeal to non-natives being from natives? You know, there's a lot of um, complexities in that. And so when I do work, um, I find that, okay, if you bring those to light and you kind of set them on the table, you're automatically going to have a room kind of divided based on their political views or based on what they're comfortable with or even just based on how they were raised and what they know. Um, so I try to boil stories down and, um, you know, make them about human beings and emotions and fears and hopes and things that human beings experience. Because when you have it and you realize that, you know, despite all of our skin color and everything else, we're all just human beings. Um, it, it takes away all those biases and people, you know, maybe something that would make somebody feel kind of like put out because they didn't quite understand something. If they look at it from a human level, they realize, look, I, I probably had family member, you know, in the military or my parents are, you know, in that were, you know, I don't believe in this, but at the same time, if a family member was overseas, I would, I would feel something. 
So it's very much a human thing and an emotional thing that I try to focus on um, to make it more all-encompassing. Um, and I, I, I find that people do respond to that like, very much on a, a more emotional level, that they're able to appreciate whatever it is that I'm adding to it. Um, so if you add stories from specific cultures, you know, they feel like they're learning something, but it's through an emotional dialogue as opposed to um, me teaching them something, I guess. Yeah. I thought that the, that your use of, of ink and watercolor here left a lot of space on the page for, for mm-hmm. others to come in, for our eyes to focus in on, for us almost to be looking at snapshots at points, snapshots yeah. leading into a moment and walking us out of a moment. Um, I, I wonder what what illustration in your life has looked like. Did you find yourself, you mentioned, I, I think you mentioned your mother and, and weaving earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I look to your uh, dedication that you wrote. Um, do you, well, actually, do you have it in front of you? I should have you Oh, um, I, I don't have it in front of me. No, but I, you, I dedicated you... Go ahead. the book um, to my mom and my grandma um, because both of them instill, you know, an appreciation of fiber arts in my life. Um, my grandma, she taught me how to knit and she used to knit everybody in the family these hats every year, um, you know, and it, it would, for one, probably keep her um busy in one way but at the same time when you're doing a craft like knitting or weaving or spinning um you get into this very meditative state in your mind um and i feel like through that it's almost like you're you're giving a very special personal gift to somebody um and with my mom it's the same thing she is primarily a seamstress but she taught me how to sew and she taught me also how to knit and stuff so both those things in my life are I mean, all my downtime when I'm not doing artwork, I'm either messing around with like yarn and fabric or I'm trying to teach how to play music. But um, (laughs) those two things are like, you know, my two hobbies that take up a lot of time in my life that I really love doing because of the headspace that they get you into. Were you drawing Um, from an early age as well? I was, yeah. Um, My mom would always just buy me reels of printer paper and stuff, I guess, and they would just let me go to town with like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> stacks of papers <laughs> yeah um yeah but uh, while I was illustrating this book too um uh, my grandma she ended up going into hospice care and uh, we were like slowly losing her um so I was really connecting to the little girl in the story and um the grandmother in the story especially because I remember going over and visiting my grandma when I was a kid and watching her like knit stuff she had like a yarn basket on the side of her couch and it was totally different. One of those crazy sixties couches with like the big gnarly floral pattern and like weird yellows and greens. But like, I just, I have these like really clear memories of watching her do stuff like that. Um, and I was trying to get in that headspace, like, okay, well, you know, when you're a kid, everything looks here and you sometimes will sit beneath somebody and watch somebody do something. So you get these different angles. Um, and so that really inspired some of the perspectives that you'll see. So there's like an above perspective, a below perspective, I think, um, kind of just odd perspectives that maybe are not your normal sequential storytelling ones. So I think that's what um, made it a delight to look at, though, the way that you are, the, the language I always use 
in that is is that you've sort of positioned the camera in different places for your illustration. Yeah. I was so moved at the the spread that reads within that pilot forms a prayer pleading for peace and you allow all of that white space background to be flooded by the sky and this 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 individual this being in the sky with hands sort of cupping protecting the plane that this pilot is flying mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it it was staggering that that for so for so much throughout the book we've had that white space and then suddenly everything has been everything has been painted yeah. um like literally and figuratively by this experience by what's about to happen by how things are connected Mm-hmm. There's there, there's just there's just really really good storytelling going on in the art, and I just <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of want to high five you endlessly. Okay. I, Thank you. Well, it's kind of hard to do too because honestly, I, I the format is different than what I'm normally used to it yeah. um, working with. When you do comic book format, it's traditionally 11 by 17 um, vertical format, so you're working portrait style all the time, and your panel breakdown becomes different types of formulas and storytelling that works within that format. And I could have done a portrait format. I think this one is slightly portrait format. They kind of gave me a bunch of different, like, oh, well, you can work square, you can work landscape, all these things. And I was thinking, like, oh, man, like that, if I do that, like, this isn't comics, so I can embrace that. But at the same time, that changes things up a lot. Um, I also have a, a little bit of a background in doing animation and storyboarding. And that, when you do that, it's a lot of horizontal, you know, uh, film ratio uh, perspectives. So I was trying to push a little bit more on that side and bring in, you know, my support of what I knew from sequential or storytelling through comics, but apply it to more of a cinematic, um, I guess, format. Um, but yeah, picture books are just a whole—they're just a whole different beast. Like. Um, it's a lot of space for you to play in. And I think once I finally got to the page that you're talking about, where it's a full painted page, I was like, Oh man, I could paint an entire book this way. Like, <laughs> because I was so, was so terrified leading up to that point, like, okay, I have things in panels. So that's comfortable to me. And Aww. the panels, you know, are telling stories across each page. So I was in a comfortable place when I started out the book. And I always try to push myself out of that comfort zone. Once I kind of get into the art, and when I got to the, you know, the, the spread page, I'm like, okay, this is, this is where I need to take it on the next project yeah. because I'm allowed to play in all of the space, not just these little boxes of space. And if I allow myself to do that, then I can do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it was definitely a huge uh, growth cycle for me as an artist too, uh, getting out of the the layouts that I'm so used to doing because it's it's literally like I don't even think about it anymore when I get a comic book job I'm like all right 11 by 17 here's the borderlines here's the bleeds all this stuff and it's just like second nature to me but um having the freedom to like choose what format I wanted to do it in and how that was going to play out in um either supporting you know the, the art for this children's book or you know supporting the the flow of you know somebody reading Tracy's words uh was something that I really kind of had to think long and hard about and um the the art director Jasmine she was just she was so great and like (laughs) explaining me to me uh, you know 
what my options were and what she thought, you know, very gently, like, oh, well, I, she kind of liked these ones. And I was like, okay. And I, I really kind of like let her hold my hand because this whole world is like very new to me. Um, and, um, you know, people, I, I think maybe if they're not artists, they're like, oh, well, what's, you know, there can't be that much of a difference between doing a kid's book and a comic book or it's all art, you know, but it's, it's a totally different headspace. I think children's books are very much more, um, uh, more like dreams, I guess, where you can really focus on certain things. You're, you're storytelling, but you also are allowed this wide amount of freedom to just let your brain go and take um, the story in any direction that it wants to go. With comics, you usually have to end up from like point A to point B. That's usually your goal is because you're, you're telling a linear story. Um, so I, I really enjoyed playing in that area and I kind of hope that I get to do it again with some other books because um, I would like to see where I could push it you know like <laughs> I want to say over the course of the next like two decades the way that even more of this handcrafting textile work works its way into because <laughs> I can feel I can feel like the sense of of Juju Morales one of my favorite children's book illustrators I could just like feel her love of textiles and where that yeah. has taken her through her career. And I'm like, Oh boy, oh, <laughs> buckle up. we got a, we got a career ahead. Um, I wanted to point, but I, I hear that you have a little one in the background. I hear my little one. Yeah. <laughs> Both of our girls are like talking. Um, but I want to make sure I honor our time. But, but first I wanted to quickly uh, share as well, something I appreciated about how Tracy told this story and how you weaved in those emotions. And that's that mm-hmm. this is a fictionalized story. But in their, her author's note, she um, shares a true story. She she writes, um, summarizing it here, that more recently, um, women serve um, proportionately higher rates than all other active duty reserve and National Guard service members. One such woman was Ola Mildred Millie Rexroth, an Oglala Lakota pilot, the only native woman among 1,074 women Air Force service pilots, WASPs, in World War II. And this is the part that really, I was like, look how sophisticated children's books are and what we're bringing to them. The text reads, Millie risked her own life towing targets for male student pilots to fire on for practice. Mm -hmm. That is a part of history that I was like, that my my experience with how pilots target practice is Top Gun, where they like link on a little computer, not where they are <laughs> literally firing live rounds at a target being towed. Um, yeah. To to read that that um, not only did Millie receive um, this congressional gold medal, but also that um, that Ellsworth Air Force Base in South Dakota was renamed and dedicated uh, in her honor in 2017. I thought mm-hmm. it was a really beautiful way to tie in fiction, which makes this book for every individual who served as well as biography for this one individual. It really, I think as your book, as the book does, as your art does as well, it really connects so many different threads and Mm -hmm. that is incredibly powerful. Well, thank you. Yeah. When she told me about her, I was like, we have to incorporate her into the book somehow. And there, there are old service photos of her um, that we managed to find. So um, 
one of the pages in the book where it's the the family of women and they're all kind of doing their handicrafts and it's a double page spread. You'll see a little photo in the back corner wall and it's actually taken from Millie's, um, her service photo. Um, and I, I tried to kind of make the pilot in the story resemble her a little bit. Um, so there's a little bit of a nod. I mean, I, I hope that it's done respectfully. So if her family were to see it, they would, you know, be happy with the way that we handled it. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, to, to do that sort of thing in world war two is just crazy. I mean, the level of technology with weapons from back then to current day is completely different. Yeah. And, um, I, I couldn't imagine either. I was like, I've seen a lot of movies about world war two and, um, I used my dad was very much into like airplanes and stuff when I was a kid. So he'd always show me these like old military things. My grandpa was in the military too, but it, it was like fly or die back then. Like <laughs> you better no know kidding. what you were doing while you were up there. Otherwise it's just one bullet to the wing, you know, and you're down and um, if they could parachute out, they were lucky, but yeah, it was very dangerous. And she, she continued to fly, I believe most of her life too, even when she was, aged and out of the war um that's that she's an amazing individual and i hope she gets more um acknowledgement for her service as as well as other you know native women that have fought oh. awesome what an awesome story and a powerful book and it was made for children and adults <laughs> to share and read together that's it's just it's beautiful um thank you for your time talking to me today thank you for yeah. all that you brought to this conversation and from your childhood and from comics and everything. I've had so much fun getting to know you and I can't wait to see what you're working on next. It will <laughs> truly be a treasure for us. For well, us thank all. you so much for having me because this is a great conversation. And um, I've, I've been able to talk about various, you know, parts of this book, but um, to be able to, you know, talk to somebody that works with libraries and see its impact that is really special so thank you for having me on oh, totally I'm, I'm gonna end by giving you a chance to speak directly to not just my readers but to all of our readers mm -hmm. um, I know that these episodes have opportunity to reach them and I never take that for granted so I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning is there a message that I can bring to them from you mm. I would give them the message that Native people are their neighbors and their friends and people working at stores that they visit with their parents and people drawing books that they're going to read. And they're all around them and that they're still here in existence and they're beautiful people. <laughs> The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 550 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. 
We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.